0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Startup Recruitment Failures. I'm Indra, founder and CEO of JobRelay, We're building LinkedIn automation platform for outbound recruitment. And today my guest is Olegas Murashko, engineering manager at Meta. Olegas, could you please introduce yourself and maybe your company or your team? I, I believe everyone knows Meta.
1: Hey, uh, thank you for having me today. So I'm working as Ian for Meta. Uh, not for long, just for one year, across a couple of teams already. Uh, I'm working in a domain called Integrity, so keeping uh, company accountable uh, uh, in front of our users and keeping our platforms safe, uh, like Facebook and Instagram. And before that, before joining Meta, uh, um, I took multiple uh, interesting roles uh, across product startups and enterprise companies. I was an manager, or software engineer. So happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for your time and being here. And yeah, as as you said, so you've been an engineering manager for quite a few companies uh, Mm -hmm. now. uh, And I believe you have uh, quite a few recruitment failures. Am I right?
1: Oh, yes, as as all of us.
0: Could you share uh, any with us?
1: Probably I should have top 10, not just one. Um, I think all failures, uh, I can categorize them into two large uh, buckets. So bucket Mm -hmm. one is hiring too quickly and especially considering uh, this economy cycle where we were for quite a long time, for the last maybe 10 years, where everything appeared to be growing very quickly. So it was very a common situation when you join a product team. And one of reasons why you invited this engineering manager or tech lead is to help the team grow. So basically, it means you are spending a lot of time hiring. And the focus is on speed of hiring and a bit less of on quality. So it means in practice, very often you just need to feel the head count as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And the first bucket of such failures, what I experienced quite a lot, is hiring too quickly. Mm-hmm. So you are just trying to get as as many smart hands uh, on the a table as, as possible and to keep a ball rolling and basically don't have luxury of time to select very often the right people mm-hmm. because there is competition and time pressure yeah. and uh, there is no even priority to focus on quality. So this is bucket number one. And bucket number two, I think, is uh, when you're hiring too quickly, is letting go too slowly. Uh, so not firing quickly enough, uh, not letting people go again. It's related to this uh, previous economy cycle, I think, but uh, as an engineering manager, you're always afraid a bit to let people go because you think, oh, now I need to rehire, now I need to backfill, so how do I do it? So it prevents you, again, to focus on quality and retaining the good people, which are good for this specific position at this specific time, Mm -hmm. and uh, you're not letting people uh, go quickly enough if it's needed. So there are two major buckets I would say I had.
0: Okay. And how to avoid them? Because, you know, if you, if you are in that current situation that it's uh, very stressful and you need to hire as soon as it's possible, uh, because I don't know, uh, it's, it's clashing and, and you need to start development. Yes. So how, how to do it? So, of course, quality is important, but time is uh, also very important. How to avoid it?
1: Yes. What helps me a bit, of what I learned is to be very honest uh, with the origin of the need. So the origin of the need is maybe your sea level your business owner. So someone who triggers this need to hire more, mm-hmm. to get more headcount, especially in engineering, to do things quicker. So just by coming to you like your CTO or CEO saying, hey, get things done. You need more people, hire, just get things done. So uh, what helped me after some time, I started being very honest, communicating risks. So if I hire a slower quality, If I hire quicker than I would like to, Mm -hmm. so very specific risks we need just to be aware of and just let us have mitigation in place. So simple situation, I have limited budget, I have limited time, I need to hire a new product team to deliver X feature. So what do I do? I speed up interview process, I hire maybe a bit more of junior uh, persons, and I compromise on quality. Which is totally fine, but there are associated risks, so probably my delivery quality will be lower, maybe high risk of rework, maybe users will not be so happy with our new feature. So it's totally fine to take those risks as long as we see them, understand them, and we accept that something will happen, right? For example, our quality will be lower and we agree that we are going to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. So this is what I did with my previous CTO. Uh, we just talked through those risks. I said, okay. Hey, uh, John Smith, we can do that. We can go quicker. But these are the risks, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire, for example, more people than I would do in normal situation just to distribute the risk of people living. when I would need at least two, three very senior people who are going to mentor and coach uh, those junior guys and we need to accept the risk, but quality of our work probably will be lower than you would expect in normal situation. And if we very honest with this business owner and we agree together on, on how we going to accept those risks, then. It's okay to go for lower quality hiring, I think.
0: And from your experience, how does it usually go? Do managers like C-level managers, business owners accept the risk uh, or they prefer to prolong uh, the hiring process?
1: Almost always it was, okay, let's do it. Let's go for a bit uh, riskier approach and let's just... so time, time always wins. So always speed is is the king. Uh, let's see how it changes uh, because now the approach is changing across the whole industry. But previously during... Uh, ten- in years it was always speed is working.
0: Okay okay this is what I have actually expected and uh, could you give any specific um, like case uh, the example uh, when when you had a not very successful hire and how did you deal with that?
1: Probably in every company where I joined I had uh, at least a couple of, of unsuccessful hires it's totally fine because first of all your recruitment process there is always a space for an error, right? Your interviewing process cannot be ideal. Definitely. So it's totally fine to have this uh, buffer for an error. At the same time, there are some errors I regret, of course. Mm-hmm. So number one probably is hiring for passion instead of hiring for professionalism. And it attributes mostly to the most senior engineers I hired. So I had, I can remember at least a couple of situations when I mixed up really person being Passionate about what she or he is doing Mm -hmm. in his professional life and uh, with what that person is actually capable to deliver. And let me just explain. Uh, uh, I have uh, usually one of stages during my recruitment process where I have an intro call, uh, me and the candidate directly, and me as a hiring manager usually, Mm -hmm. and I just talk through about your approach to engineering? Why you got into engineering? Why you do what you do? Uh, Do you love what you are doing in your professional life? Why do you enjoy it, what you don't enjoy? So I'm trying to understand, uh, do you have this uh, fire inside you for your your profession actually, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes important. And sometimes I've had several situations when I I see this fire in the eyes of a candidate and the person is very passionate about what he or she is is doing, either software development or infrastructure or just building stuff for users. And I mix up this for being actually professional, actually being able to deliver. Mm -hmm. And how to avoid uh, this mistake. So instead of being such uh, subjective how... I sometimes become myself, I started, uh, inviting one more person to such calls. So not just being me one-to-one hiring manager and candidate, I started inviting one more person who maybe has a bit different attitude and different priorities, mm-hmm. uh, what we are looking at the candidate just to listen in and, uh, has, uh, that person has usually a bit different opinion for me to cross check myself. Yeah. So it really helps. It really helps. <laughs> um, just to ground my own optimism about the candidate a bit and level it down. So it really helps. So I started inviting additional person.
0: Okay, this is, this is a good one. But it's um, like, you know, <clears throat> passion is a very good advantage, right? Uh, you don't want to have a person who's not passionate uh, about the, their job at all. Have you ever had a situation when there's a really good professional but has no passion at all for their job?
1: It's it's interesting question because um, let's just remember what, inter, what interviewing process is. Interviewing process is a theater, right? So it's a kind of a game and there are rules that you follow. If you follow the rules very well, usually you go through multiple interviews with very good success rate. So And we all understand that. So it means there are multiple, multiple people who just get the rules well, they prepare well, and they know very well how to play this game and go through the interviewing process. Mm-hmm. And you can Fake the passion, you can fake a lot of things or maybe not fake, I would say, play it out, right? So just emphasize specific attributes what hiring manager or other participants in the interview process expect from you in specific stage. Mm -hmm. For example, in behavioral interview, I would focus, uh, I would have top 10 uh, situations from my professional career prepared in advance Mm -hmm. and I, and I, I would just highlight them one by one and I would just pick them out as I rehearsed before. If I have an interview about team fit, I would explore in advance who I'm going to talk to, and I would try to rehearse that as well. So you see, you can play by the rules, and you can go through the interview. The same applies to the, to the passion thing. You can play a passionate candidate. So that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So how I tried to balance that out, I started looking less for passion, mm-hmm. but more for historical signals. It means, can we talk about your past, professional past? Can we talk about your experience and very specific situations and assess them a bit more objectively? Not how you behave during the interview, not how I like you or I dislike you, but can we look at facts and numbers? Mm -hmm. What did you deliver as an engineer? How did you help your businesses in terms of numbers? How did you help your teams in terms of team sentiment? So you see, I'm trying to move from this uh, interview performance Mm -hmm. to actual past professional performance as much as is possible.
0: But what if a candidate is a junior person and uh, has no experience uh, or the past, you know, to to show off?
1: Yes, very good question. So you have, in practice, you have nothing to demonstrate yet if you have limited professional experience because you just didn't have enough chance, right? So how do you assess future performance without having signal from past performance. So one of the practices I apply very widely is uh, simulating that. So how you simulate? You have a pet project together. You say, okay, so how do we try it out if we are going to be a good match for each other? Let's have a small project together, two, three days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's try working out, let's just try to pretend that you you are our team member already. We allocate you to existing team we give you a real task or you join existing real project. We pay you for it, of course, and you work with us for two, three days, maybe a week. And then at the end of this week, we meet again and decide together how it was. So it's kind of a very limited uh, signal, of course, but it's much better than nothing. So usually one week is more than enough to see the person in the real World and see how you perform in real team.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. To just to check, you know, how the person is uh, behaving basically in that environment and with these tasks. Um, Because Like, I remember one uh, really nice um, engineering candidate without almost any experience, and he was so passionate, but you could feel that it's like an honest passion, you know, to become Mm. the best developer in in the world, basically. (laughs) And he delivered so well. Uh, We hired two people, one, him, junior person, another one, Mm -hmm. 10 years of experience, candidate, and the junior one basically wrote the whole application by himself. Mm. He read of of course, many books and got the a lot of help from other team members but it's uh, well still i believe that passion is really something which is very important at work but of course it has to be honest and sometimes during interviewing it's not so easily to detect uh, whether it's uh, you know performance or uh, honesty and um, how about the personality when, when it comes to assessing candidates how much do you look about the personal uh, fit or match to the company's culture or team in In comparison to their professionalism, what is most important for you and how do you allocate this criteria?
1: I think this uh, team fit or personal fit should be driven by your overall approach, what you want as a business. Uh, because it depends. There is no good answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Like you should always do a team fit check or you shouldn't. For example, at my current place where we work uh, and create consumer products or enterprise products, the view is is quite different to what I used before. So the view mm-hmm. now is you focus not on team fit, you focus on team diversity. And there is very specific... Uh, pragmatic uh, reason why you do it. Mm-hmm. Of course, overall team diversity has its its own good outcomes uh, for people, mental health, uh, for, for internal uh, team sentiment. But from business perspective, it has its own good outcomes as well. Just think about that. If you create consumer products for global market, for multiple countries across the world, so you create for diverse audience. And the same applies to enterprise products. You uh, create for multiple industries across the whole world. The best outcome you can achieve is with diversity. Why? Because just imagine you do product discovery. You try to figure out what uh, your customers and and users uh, Mm -hmm. want and need. So how do you represent this vision need in the best way? You want this 360 view. How do you have 360 view? You have very different people to look at those at this this problem domain and try to describe it, right? So then you want a very diverse team of engineers, of product managers, of designers who represent very different view, point of view, and very different cultures as well. Mm -hmm. And, And it really helps, right? Yeah. Take another extreme. If you build product for very specialized domain, for very specialized market, and especially if you have a small team, than having a monolithic culture, so uh, where all people, like, not the same, but very similar by their cultural background, by their point of view. It it really helps. Helps your speed of delivery, understanding without words, right? You don't need to speak, you just understand each other very quickly. So you have a lot of internal mental shortcuts when you are from the same culture, when your team is not diverse, you're, like, almost the same. So what you get, you get speed and focus, uh, but you can create products which are very focused and very constrained as well, right? So to summarize, it depends what you need. And I think quite often we misinterpret that team fit is about how we feel within the team. And we forget about this business element, what you get having diverse team or having non-diverse team, right? So that's why I would apply team fit filter during the recruitment process especially, depending on your business priorities. And it's very important to be very honest about what you do and what you don't do. But again, team fit is a good thing for teams mental health, as I mentioned. It has own benefits mm-hmm. to the team sentiment, of
0: course. Yeah. But it's uh, it should be um, a little bit more difficult uh, to work in a diverse team uh, than uh, in a very much like f- fitting team like where everyone is almost the same. What differences do you see?
1: Exactly. so this is a kind of investment. you want to get specific element in, in your in your delivery which otherwise you would not have uh, with uh, with a non-diverse team. Just imagine your again, your recruitment, your recruitment process should be different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your retention process should be different because you should constantly maintain this balance of different uh, cultural views of, of different just different representatives from, from different domains of the world. So it's, it's just not hiring, it's just retaining as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the cultural norms within the team uh, should become very different, so your culture of work is different. For example, Now, when you have a meeting and you are discussing, for example, okay, so which path we should take with this product feature? Should we go uh, quick and dirty and deliver quicker? Or we should take more time and discover more and talk to more users? Mm -hmm. And it may look like a simple decision that can be driven just by numbers. At the same time, people from different cultures treat time and uh, sentiment of users differently, right? For example, uh, if you talk to someone from China, or if you talk to someone to Germany, or you talk to someone in the UK, they may have very different approach just because how they perceive time. Mm-hmm. So having three of those persons in the room really helps to have a balanced approach in this case. So how do you achieve this? It means your work culture should support this expression of of diverse views. You should not treat People who, for example, uh, are louder, have stronger opinions, yeah. uh, differently comparing to others, for example. You should allow every voice in the room to be heard. So it requires it requires very specific work culture. So it means recruiting for diversity is not enough. It's just one small step. Retaining for diversity, it's it, this is what's really difficult. And keeping these internal cultural norms functional, what I see is really difficult. It's all about business investment. You should have people who are actually doing this, who maintain those norms, like uh, HR professionals or engineering managers as well. You should train people, all of them, why they are doing that, for them to understand and actually support this work country. And compared to smaller companies where they don't need it. So yeah. compared to small product startup where you focus on speed and diversity is less important because you are focusing on very specialized domain and in industry, Then you spend all this time on the product, you spend all this time on something else, for example, on engineering quality. So you see uh, various kind of investment trade-off where you spend your time.
0: Of course. Was it very difficult to adjust to this um, diverse environment and especially retaining uh, talents uh, when the team is very diverse?
1: I think it's very difficult if you do it from scratch. Just imagine you have a growing company, uh, maturing, evolving company, and you reach some point when you understand uh, but you're already too large to ignore this diversity element. So now you start thinking, okay, so how do I have representation across genders? Mm-hmm. How do I have proper representation across different cultures, different uh, languages, different points of view? So now you're trying to transform your existing organization. I think this is a real high upfront investment. So this is difficult. When it's all working, uh, the only investment you need to maintain is how you help to adjust new people who are joining. So mm-hmm. if I join a company which has this focus on, on uh, cultural diversity, then I need to invest some time internally to adjust. And it took me realistically when I joined Meta, it took me about I think three months, three four months to start really getting uh, the point, trying to see the results. So I'm, I'm quite, I think I'm quite pragmatic person so I always want to see The benefit of doing something. (laughs) So it took me several months to see the actual benefit comparing to my previous teams. The having this diverse point of view actually works mm-hmm. and brings brings actual better outcomes in specific situations. Mm-hmm.
0: And have you ever had a situation when a person joined um, your uh, such a diverse team and uh, couldn't stay because of, I don't know, differences in the approach to work or some other maybe cultural issues?
1: I didn't have it in my team directly. Uh, I've seen uh, several cases in our teams Uh, But you see, uh, one part what you need to think about when you're thinking about uh, diversifying your, your, your cultural representation, especially is what controls you put in place. So as I said, retaining this this work culture is difficult. And controls uh, is not about reminding people, oh, so you just should respect different point of view. Uh, You should uh, hear all the voices. So reminding is not enough. Mm -hmm. You need to award Good behavior, and sometimes you need to punish bad behavior. And punishing quotes, I mean, just saying, Oh, yo, yo, come on, you need to be a bit more respectful is not enough. You should have proper HR controls in place if reminding doesn't work. It can go as disciplinary actions, it can go as termination in specific cases. And people should be aware and those controls should work because just, you know, just uh, creating training courses, just saying how nice and diverse we are is not enough. Uh, You should uh, walk the talk, right? You should actually keep the culture like that uh, up to your standards what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And when it comes to the interviewing or selecting candidates, so uh, when you're looking for a cultural uh, fit like or team fit, it's uh, pretty simple, right? So you identify what is the culture uh, of, of your team or the company and you go ahead. But when it comes to the diversity and especially it's a very... Organic process, right? It's changing all the time, and because some new people join, and it's even more diverse. How do you prepare and how do you conduct the uh, interviewing, assessing the diversity, basically?
1: Look again, uh, interviewing is a game, right? So you can fake this uh, your approach to to diversity as well. You can always say, "Oh yes, I like." For example, I can say I'm a white dude. I can say, "Oh yes, I like working with uh, a woman with my uh, in my product teams," right? I I always try to to do it. Uh, I, I like working across different cultures, but it can be faked very easily because it just works. Uh, what really helps is uh, justifying by actual experience doing, uh, doing that. So, if I have some experience actually working in diverse teams and I can uh, explain this experience and uh, back by facts, uh, then it's much easier, right? So, if I worked in previous companies where it was a similar culture or I had experience transforming the team from non diverse to diverse, then well, it's a bit easier, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you don't have such experience, I think you just cannot prove it yeah. until you actually went into such environment and you you can show that you can pro- uh, properly operate and deliver in such environment. I think every person who comes first into diverse environment to anyone to white dude, to someone from Asia, from someone from Africa, someone from US, it's always a shock. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just fact because. We live in our small bubbles, and when you understand that world is a puzzle and it's huge and it's very different yeah. comparing to your bubble, it's a shock to any one of us. Maybe it's very uh, sometimes it's not uh, popular to talk about that, but we all know that it's a shock to understand how different we are, all of us, at the same time, uh, how equal we are, and uh, every voice is. It should be respected to be heard, right? Even if it's different. So it's always a shock and it's always, it takes some time for you personal to adjust. When you do it one time in your life, I think next time so much easier.
0: Mm-hmm. But then there could be a, um, a little bit risky, right? If uh, there's a new team member joining the team, uh, having no experience working in a diversity team, and this should be pretty often, and then you're somehow risking whether this person could adapt or not.
1: That's true. That's true. So how you do it, uh, how I see you're doing in our current teams. So just imagine, uh, I can tell you about my, my current teams, what I'm working with, just to understand what diversity means. Mm-hmm. So we have boys and girls, so gender representation. We have cultural representation. In my uh, current teams, I have people from uh, China, from Singapore, from Egypt, from Russia, from Ukraine, me. So we have in each team five, six different countries Mm -hmm. and two, three totally different cultures. (laughs) And when we have a new person coming to the same team, what really helps but the team is diverse already, so basically you have nothing to compare against, right? You have nothing like you've seen before. For example, I'm let's let's imagine I'm coming from Lithuania, and this is the first diverse team I see in my life. Mm-hmm. So I have nothing to compare what I had previously in Lithuania because it's just totally different, right? So you, I cannot go talk to three other Lithuanians in my team because. There are no Lithuanias, right? I cannot go talk to white dudes in my team because maybe there there are no white dudes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you see, you cannot cluster anymore around the same culture you belong to because there is no single major representation of your culture anymore. Mm -hmm. It's balanced already. So basically the only way forward for you is to adjust and to become part. So to blend in Mm -hmm. and it really helps. So I think this is, and this is one of principles we follow when we f- when we create a new team, a new product team. We always try to create a team, of course, by skills, by experience. At the same time, keeping that diverse enough for a new person to join and blend in immediately, not to have any major cultural representation.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, when, when you mentioned blend in, what would be your tips uh, out of your experience? Uh, how to do it or maybe how not to do it? Like what, what is the easiest path to blend in?
1: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, what really helps me is uh, be very curious because probably uh, not many of us visited all countries in the world and seen the whole planet. So probably a lot of us, we have very limited experience of different countries, different cultures, uh, different everything, right? So uh, meeting people from other parts of this nice world is an amazing opportunity to be curious and to learn about them. What really helps me, I start asking stupid questions. So what's your favorite food? Hey, let's have dinner together. Can you... Arrange a uh, dinner out for the team and just bring you us to your favorite restaurant in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, from your culture, right? Until, and we just do a roundabout uh, across the whole team, and everyone brings to his favorite uh, place uh, with that cuisine. Mm-hmm. I talk about where do you go for vacation. It's very interesting, for example, if you talk to a, to a girl from Egypt and I learned where they go for vacation, it's very different comparing to where I go. So it's very easy to understand the culture if you talk about their real life, how they see the world on the very basic level, mm-hmm. where they go for food, where they go for drink, where they go for vacation, what we enjoy in life, right? Uh, who they spend time with. So it's it's very interesting because if you're curious, personally, just, just interesting to learn and it shapes your boundary of understanding again how how different we are together at the same time, how many common things we have together, right? Not just because we are working in the same company right now, but because how many common thoughts we have about politics, economy, our current work, and you start valuing that much more, uh, all the common things across you as well. So this is what really helps. What doesn't help? what really doesn't help. If you start comparing to uh, your own culture, to how you did it at home, how you did previously, comparison never works because you are just different, right? And there is no good or bad way to live your life Mm -hmm. as it appears. And when you compare, uh, you try to justify why your way of uh, living your life, why the way of working, for example, is better than in other culture. And I think it never helps,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I agree, and I think it's a really great transition or at least like personal growth for uh, every person joining a diverse team because yeah you you have to get uh, open and to learn new things and especially not compare to the things you are used to and in the very beginning, you also mentioned that um uh first uh, top recruitment failures, uh, usually companies do, is also Mm -hmm. uh, letting people not uh, soon enough. Um, Do you have any experience uh, of yours by doing that?
1: Yes, yes. Um, There are two flavors to that. So first, uh, when you hire, uh, so for example, I hired one engineer in one of my uh, product teams uh, before, and uh, one of flavors, if you think that person will change, mm-hmm. so you see some some red flags. You see potentially bad behavior in the team. That person is translating uh, negative sentiment, uh, and you first time you see it as maybe okay. So that person just in bad mood today. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see it second time, third time. When, for example, you see person not delivering up to your expectations, the team expectations. You see it one time, mm-hmm. two times. And those are just red flags. So bell is ringing. Mm-hmm. And one of the mistakes I made several times is thinking that person can change, especially it's applicable to senior experienced engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my conclusion so far, my, my very subjective one, People never change, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, on the foundational level. So, your traits will not change if you're grown up. It's very, you, you, you can adjust, you can learn, you can fade out specific reflexes, but it's very difficult to change yourself mm-hmm. if you're honest and, and open. So, it means that you're not just in your right place. You just, it's, it's not what is something wrong with you. The team is not right for you. I'm not right for you as, as as hiring manager. It was my mistake probably that we decided to work together and it's just not the right time, right? So we should just uh, go our own ways. Mm-hmm. So the issue I had, I tried to give people too much time to demonstrate what they can change, uh, making assumptions that they can change in the first place, which is not right, I think. Mm-hmm. So what I would do differently, I would be very open with such persons and agree on time boxing such experiment and uh, being very open what is not working out. And if you agree mutually it's not working out, deciding to go our own ways as soon as possible on very good terms, on on good terms, because it's my mistake. So I need to compensate this to that person, right? Because it's my hiring mistake.
0: Well, why do you think it's your mistake? It's also a candidate's mistake too, because they make the decision too whether to join your team or not.
1: That's right. That's right. But I think there is a, a higher negative impact on the person who is letting who is let go mm. emotionally Okay. first. Yeah. So you already take the hit. And for you, as for hiring manager, for the company to let someone go, uh, there is very little uh, emotional sentiment in the practice. Mm-hmm. For you, as person affected, I think it's a huge impact, almost always. Mm-hmm. So that's why. So I think it's fair to try to look at that as as a bit unbalanced situation, so mm-hmm. letting person go is is easier for company
0: yeah yeah makes sense of course and uh, what was your difficult mo- most difficult fire
1: most difficult fire so uh good question so as we discussed before when you try to focus on hiring quickly who uh, are hiring quickly enough to deliver stuff, to get things done. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're looking for a critical person who, who is on critical path of your delivery. For example, your tech lead or your director of engineering. Uh, and if you make this hiring mistake and then you drag for too long, mm-hmm. then the longer you keep the situation like that and not letting... So allowing to bleed your team, your, your company, your product the more impact you have exponentially. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the position as well of a person. So if you hire an engineer and you have such a situation that you're not uh, letting person quick enough, it's one. But if you have a bit different role, uh, another manager, engineering manager or director of engineering, mm-hmm. then it becomes a real problem because you're affecting not one person, but your effect, uh, effect now is, is, is scaled, right, across maybe multiple product teams, yeah. maybe across a whole company. So it becomes exponentially bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I think to such critical positions, the speed is the king as well, but you need to fire even quicker. I think mm-hmm. so. It's very difficult to do, unfortunately, yeah. uh, because you put this person on your critical path and you depend on that person a lot, right? So it becomes a bit more painful for you and the, for the company.
0: Okay, okay. Thank you for sharing. And uh, to, to finalize uh, our talk, um, maybe you could. Um, Share your main insight you would like to share with other hiring managers um, the the biggest learning or the greatest insight you have from your experience.
1: What comes to my mind, uh, what really helps me is to be as, as honest and as open uh, during recruit- recruitment process and after recruitment as well, during onboarding, while trying to retain uh, people and then deciding to let people go. So honesty and this openness as much as I can of course, uh, a situation allows, really, really helps. And what this honesty means, uh, you as hiring manager, you as a technical uh, uh, leader, you should represent the company. Uh, You should represent the product and the users, uh, customers for whom you are building. And what it means, you should imagine that you are putting your own money on the table Mm -hmm. and uh, wishes and needs of your users and customers on the table and it means if i decide to invite someone to my team or if i decide to let someone go from my team how does it affect my own uh, financial stability mm-hmm. if it's my own company mm-hmm. uh, would i put my own money to hire that person or would i risk my own uh, financial stability letting that person go so looking for this personal perspective this is what i started applying and this is really helps so Think about if you are CEO of a company, Mm -hmm. would you do that? Mm -hmm. Would you take this risk or would you make this specific decision? Of course, I'm not CEO. I'm not trying to. But if you look from this business perspective, I think that really helps.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. So thank you, Olegos, uh, so much for your time and for sharing your stories. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners. For more podcasts, please visit jobreli.com.